For the second time this week, we're examining the duration of protection against COVID-19 infection and reinfection afforded by vaccination. You're listening to Clinical Conversations from the NEJM Group. I'm Joe Ilya, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Ali Raja, who is in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and a professor of emergency medicine at Harvard Medical School. We're about to interview Dr. Susan Hopkins on Zoom from London. Her paper with colleagues on the SIREN study on the duration of vaccine protection against COVID-19 infection and reinfection has just been published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Dr. Hopkins is a clinician and an epidemiologist and chief medical advisor for the UK Health Security Agency. Welcome, Dr. Hopkins. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Dr. Hopkins. It's great to meet you. To get us started, could you please just briefly describe the problem that you were investigating? Yeah, well, the problem started um, nearly two years ago when we started to see cases of uh, SARS-CoV-2. And at that point, we really didn't know whether infection was going to protect you um, from reinfection. Uh, And then over time, we didn't know whether the vaccination, how long the vaccination would protect you. So we started this cohort study of healthcare workers in June um, 2020, uh, after doing some pilot studies in the um, hospitals before that to see if it was feasible and, and doable. Uh, And we've been following our cohort of healthcare workers since June 2020, taking bloods every month and um, swabs from the nose every two weeks to see how many of them get infected, both symptomatically and asymptomatically. Uh, When we launched the vaccine program in December 2020, healthcare workers were one of the first in line. So we were able to get really early evidence on this cohort on how they've responded and then look at the durability of the response Um, It's critical that we know the durability of response because it feeds into the policy decisions about how frequently you might need boosters, uh, whether that's twice yearly, once a year, or even less frequently, I think, perhaps in some young, healthy individuals. This was not a small study. This isn't a small single center study. How many different institutions did this encompass uh, and how many healthcare workers were actually enrolled? So we have uh, over 100 sites um, from our hospitals. Um, so those are large hospital trusts with an average of you know, between five and 10,000 healthcare workers in each site. And there are almost 50,000 recruited into the study overall. But this study, um, where we looked at those individuals who and had follow-up for them for, with PCR tests in that period, has more than 35,000 individuals followed for the duration of the study. Uh-huh. Could you tell us uh, briefly, Dr. Hopkins, what were your principal findings? Yes, so our our main findings are that, firstly, uh, vaccines are effective um, uh, and that they uh, start to become effective after the first dose. Um, um, We see a vaccine effectiveness of 85% after the first dose in in individuals who are previously naive or not infected. Uh, However, um, over over time, uh, the uh, durability of the response declined quite substantially, uh, such that um, uh, between uh, after six months, so any time between 197 and 205 days um, after the uh, second dose of vaccine, the uh, vaccine effectiveness had reduced to about 51 percent. 
The other big point of our study is that we were able to se separate out those that had, had infection before, uh, which were 27% of our cohort. And in those individuals, we were able to track how well they respond to the vaccine. And we could see a single dose of vaccine was very effective, bringing their vaccine effectiveness up to close to 90%. Um, almost everyone had a second vaccine, so we're unable to determine the duration or durability of a single vaccine shot, which is important because I've seen some comments saying you only need one shot. So what we're saying is, is that after your second shot, you had a really durable vaccine response uh, right out to the duration of uh, the study to above 90 percent. My only proviso with that statement is this was pre-Omicron, and I think that's quite important. We do have some early evidence that we've uh, published on the Omicron data that shows that it has waned, but is still uh, very effective in those that have had prior infection in the past. Now, uh, the comparator group that you uh, measured vaccine effectiveness against, was, was that the people who had had a, uh, who were antibody positive? So we, we basically divided the cohort essentially because it's so big and we can do this in it, into the cohort that were uh, infected in the past. So 27% of the cohort are in that and the cohort that were uninfected coming in. And then we followed them over time. And the main outcome was getting a PCR positive infection, symptomatic or asymptomatic in the follow up period. So the main um, unvaccinated cohorts are those sort of people unvaccinated and uninfected were predominantly um, in that cohort prior to vaccination. So prior to December 2020, when the vaccination campaign started. So they were individuals who'd been um, uh, followed up for the previous six, seven months and had not yet got an infection at that point. And that infection was determined by both serological response and also any PCR tests that they'd had done. Now, now your analysis then was, was mostly among those who were at risk for the Delta variant. Is that exactly. Right? Exactly. So, so we have um, uh, individuals who are at risk in the alpha period um, because we were in the middle of the alpha wave when the uh, vaccination program started. So from the individuals who were infected between uh, December and April were predominantly alpha variant. And then individuals who were infected after May, we're predominantly Delta period. So this really gives you strong evidence for the Delta period and that durability of response in that period. Dr. Hawkins, you mentioned very correctly the caveat that this was pre-Omicron. Um, I, I hate to ask a scientist of your caliber to speculate, but what do you think you will find as you continue to look at these findings? Well, we, we have done some very early provisional analysis and the analysis is getting more and more complicated because the time varying exposures um, are, are more complicated as we follow the cohort and they become positive over time and then they're exposed to different variants. Uh, the, uh, so the, the time varying exposures means that we have looked at this and we've started to look at this at the cohort uh, from December 2021. And we are seeing that those who've only had two doses of vaccine have significant immune waning, uh, which is at about nine months post their second dose of vaccine, uh, but that a third dose really substantially adds to that. And those that have had uh, the, um, an infection and uh, at least two doses have a substantially better response. Um, I, I, it has waned as well. Um, and so the early evidence would suggest that it is reducing by 25 to 30 percent, uh, which is consistent with what we've seen in some of the other studies with Omicron as well. So I'm like you, a clinician, and I see patients in an emergency department. What do I take away from this as somebody who 
talks to patients, many of whom are vaccinated, but some of whom are not. Yeah, so this isn't a study looking at the outcome from uh, from from infection. So that's important. But what what we're really saying is that if we have an effective um, uh, vaccine, then that reduces both symptomatic and asymptomatic disease. Um, people will know that there are now increasingly meta-analysis and reviews looking at long COVID, and clearly that's um, infection. Uh, if you prevent the infection. That helps prevent long COVID as well, but also early evidence that even people who've been vaccinated after um, the symptoms of long COVID, then that's reduced too. So I think that's a really big positive that we should be telling people about who are not so much worried about hospital admissions, but are worried about consequences. The second is that, uh, uh, you know, we have population level studies in, in, in the UK that we've been doing where we are seeing that the reduction in severity uh, after vaccination is quite marked. Um, and we're seeing very um, sustained reductions in hospital admissions post vaccination and with Omicron post the booster dose in particular. So, I, I mean, I'm a strong encouragement of, for vaccine. I, I believe that people who've had an infection in the past get additional benefit from vaccine. And I think that's an important point to make. Uh, and it's probably a sustained and broad immune response that lasts longer and better. Um, uh, and that will be really important for them in the future as well, and to reduce the infection spread in the community. It sounds like you've got a lot of uh, work ahead of you. Uh, to do, and um, we want to we, we want to wish you luck with that, Dr. Hopkins. Is there a question that we have not asked you that you wish that we had? Um, so, so I think the things that we're really interested in, and we'll be hopefully submitting some late breakers for ECMID this year. If people are traveling to the European Conference for Clinical Micro and Infectious Diseases. Uh, are things looking at what are the predictors of people who are likely to get reinfected. So we have started to analyze um, neutralizing antibodies to various variants, pseudovirus, pseudovirus and live virus. And we're looking at the titers on how they fall over time. And so um, within this cohort, we've started to do nested case control analysis to try and see if we can define predictors in all of this that makes people more likely immunologically um, both from their antibody responses and their T-cell responses to develop subsequent disease. Well, we want to thank you very much, Dr. Hopkins, for your time with us today. Thank you for having me. That was our 283rd Clinical Conversation. We come to you from the NEJM group and the writers and editors of NEJM Journal Watch. Kristen Kelly is our executive producer. I'm Joe Elio. And I'm Ali Raja. Thanks for listening.